0: So today we'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Um, You can follow along on the screen or in your bulletin. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So I'm going to begin by asking the question, um, why? Why do you give? We're going to speak about being a blessing today, the third pillar of our vision, now I want to ask, why do you give? Put differently, what motivates your generosity? Hopefully all of us here have stories of moments, uh, situations where we have found ourselves generous with your resources, your, your treasures, or your finances, your time, uh, your talk. Even listening and lending an ear to a person is, is, is a resource, it's an energy that is, is spent. And we can be generous with our talk. Um, your, your talents And for Christ followers, even more specifically, the spiritual gifts that God has given us. So what motivates your generosity? Why do you give in those moments? Now, if we're honest, we can appear kindly and sincerely generous on the surface, but all of us, myself included, we can have ulterior motives in why we give and why we're motivated to generosity. For some of us, certainly, it's about I owe yous and you owe mes. Um, I owe you because someone was generous to us, did some act of kindness to us, and so now we want to pay them back, and we feel like we owe them. Or some of us are a little bit more calculating, and uh, we do something good for someone because we know in the future uh, we can call back, you know, make them good on that favor, right? For some of us, if we're honest, the reason why we're generous is because it it puts us in an advantageous position. Uh, We have power over someone. Or we can call out a, a you owe me in the future. For some of us, more big picture, we understand that if we invest into certain people, if we support certain departments at work and so forth, so forth, it, then um, it, it makes the whole system work. And overall, this, you, you get the product, you get the result, uh, a future gain overall as a system. And for some of us, if we're honest, we're motivated because we just want to feel good about ourselves. And this is very telling and characteristic of uh, Western 21st century culture, where volunteerism has, just in my observation in the past, say, five years, has really exponentially uh, become trendy. And volunteerism and doing good is something that makes people feel good, and that's why they love doing it. It's almost hip to, to be generous. Now, on the flip side, why do you not give? If you find yourself stingy with your resources, uh, or, or you find yourself inactive, what motivates your inactivity? Now, I'm speaking in generalities, but certainly we could be speaking about at church, at home, at work, or just wherever it may be. Why do you not give? What motivates your inactivity? And if we're honest, some of us even here coming to church today, we have what we call a consumeristic attitude. And we live in a society of consumerism where basically we're just there to receive, we're there to benefit and just eat up and and it's just taking in and not giving back. For some of us what makes us uh, not give, what keeps us just inactive in our seats is that it's not in our self-interest. It doesn't cause me any advantage or real benefit and so I, I can just go on status quo not do anything and and my life will be fine or perhaps more bigger picture you're not inspired yet by a worthy of enough cause you don't see something greater to motivate you to inspire to cause you to dream and just be caught up in that vision and usually when we're inspired we want to give and some of us if we're honest we just don't feel it some of us are feelers and and you just you you have to feel that this is right you have to feel that that I'm being led by some higher power to do this thing or, or by God, for example. Well, today, as we, we've intentionally chosen Ephesians 3 to unpack our church's vision because I, I really believe it's all there. And in this last part of Ephesians 3, this letter that Paul, while he was in prison, one joy that kept him uh, sustained in prison was just the jubilation, the, the excitement the the glory of God's plan to build up a multi-ethnic church. Paul was willing to put his life on the line, even go to prison for his faith because he was made so happy that God would expand his reach beyond his original ethnic Jewish people to embrace every tribe, every culture, every skin color, every language. And, And the letter of Ephesians is really about just this wonderful mystery and glory called the church of Jesus Christ. And uh, we get to a mountaintop exclamation in chapter 3. Paul begins to pray. Uh, we, we looked at that passage last week, and he is ending his prayer, and he's getting to a mountaintop in his heart, and he's about to shout from the mountaintop and end his prayer with these two verses that were read. And I think a good application prayer, a good way to apply what, how he's about to uh, exclaim at the end is through this prayer Lord help me to steward my blessings to build your new city help me to steward my blessings because we've all been blessed we all need to regularly pause and count our blessings from small seemingly insignificant to great life-size blessings but the point is that God has blessed us he's trusted us with these resources so help me to steward them, and specifically to build your new city. So first, let me give a brief history of God's heart for a city. A city is actually a very important category in the Bible. And as we begin, uh, we go back to creation, and the very first city was actually a garden. God created the Garden of Eden. Of course, he had created the rest of the world, too, and, and it was functioning, it was in existence, but he had specifically Prepared this wonderful Garden of Eden to be the first home and workplace of Adam and Eve. Now naturally, I believe with all my heart, even beyond the fall, even if the fall didn't happen, that as Adam and Eve multiplied and as more and more uh, people were on the earth, then naturally, the natural progression would be these gatherings of people uh, and, and that would be called cities. And so we see The very first mention of a city, this is admittedly post-fall, but this is Cain. Cain builds a city in Genesis chapter 4. So that's the first mention of the word city and the, the category city. And then we see that the city becomes an idol for humanity. In Genesis chapter 11, just like you go to every major city, and what does every major city have in the downtown? They have tall, their tallest buildings represent what is most important to them as a society. And so in Toronto, our tallest buildings are our our banks, our financial buildings, and and cities can become idolatrous. And here, uh, the Tower of Babel, in the city of Babel, they were reckoning that they can compete with God. They were attempting to build, and whatever, for them, it represented their name, their own glory, and they believed that they could build a building that could touch the heavens, and that they could compete with God. And so the earthly city, cities on earth, became idolatrous. Now we see in the law, as God brings his people out of Egypt from slavery, and as he shares the law with his people, in Leviticus chapter 14, we begin to see the Lord define his own city. He begins to create clear boundaries. And where I'm getting this is from the fact that uh, the Lord gives instructions to those who are physically or um, health-wise unclean, which represented at the time in God's plan a spiritual uncleanness, that they were meant to go outside of the city of God's people. And so there's a clear definition now, a clear boundary, where God's people reside and those that have to be outside of the city of God's people. Then, as God's story of his people progresses, we see that the Lord's city has enemies, and as they are going to take uh, the promised land, there are many cities that are religiously and spiritually against God. And so there's a clear contrast. The Lord's city becomes a little bit more defined now and that there's the Lord's city that contains His people versus enemy cities. And then it becomes even into higher definition. As Israel, God's people, is established, Zion, a.k.a. Jerusalem, a.k.a. the city of David, becomes the romance of God, the, the heart of God, the apple of God's eye. The Lord's city is Zion, the city of David, Jerusalem, and we see it clearly established in 2 Samuel 5, and it's referred to many times in such an affectionate manner in the Psalms. Now, what we see uh, soberly and somberly is that the Lord's city isn't ultimately on earth because what we see through the prophets in scripture Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel and all the minor prophets we see that God's people even on this earthly city that they would rebel and God would forsake this earthly city that represented his people and so we see clearly as it's ransacked and they're exiled that the Lord's city isn't ultimately on earth so now enter Jesus Jesus redefines this, the city of God and what he envisions is a final, permanent, indestructible, glorious, pure, perfect, new city of God in eternity. And we begin to see clues, hints of it. Jesus pointing to it, for example, even in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and he says to his people, those who would follow him, you are meant to be a city upon a hill, a light to the world to shine good works in the name of Christ. And then, in the New Testament, post-Christ now, the new city becomes into sharp, comes into sharp, clear focus. The new city is clearly pictured in Hebrews 12 and uh, other passages in Hebrew. But speaking of the, our, the, the fathers of faith, the saints of old, that they were looking forward to a city whose foundation was eternal. Not a city on earth, but looking forward to heaven and the new creation, which, very concretely speaking, is going to be a city, a new city. And then finally, we see the final picture of it in Revelation, and especially in Revelation 21, the new city is complete. We see coming down from heaven the new Jerusalem, aka the new city, and it's adorned as a bride for her groom. And so it's the church. It's the church who is the bride and adorned for her groom, Jesus Christ. So what this means very practically, let's try to make it very practical. In the bottom left corner, the blue circle, the smaller circle, it represents you and me, the church, and every local church in the world. And every local church, literally, geographically, physically, resides in a city. And so the greater, bigger circle there represents Toronto or any real, literal city. And what Christ wants to do as he causes his grace to transform people into a new culture and overflow into a new community, and as we become this new community of the church and we endeavor to begin to build his new city even here on earth, As the church demonstrates good works, as the church demonstrates grace and how to do relationship, and and life is just as equally hard for Christians as it is for those who don't follow Jesus, but how we respond to the ups and downs of life, then we become a signpost. Even the city of Toronto is a little bit of a signpost to our longing for a final perfect government, a perfect city. Oh, even this round of elections and with all the headlines and so forth, oh my heart just breaks, my heart just longs all the more. Jesus, when will you come and finally establish your good government? I'm so tired of these these, these you know, I'm holding back my words, you know, these leaders. I could add a lot of adjectives, but these leaders that we see. And so even as we look at Toronto, it's a beautiful city. Serving the poor, all these community programs, all these wonderful community centers and offerings and so forth, it's pointing to a longing for a perfect government, a perfect good city where everyone is loved and taken care of. And so, especially the church, as we are, what we're doing is building a new little city within this existing city as a signpost to God's final new city that will be consummated perfectly one day when Christ returns. Now, we, at the beginning of this series, chewed on this thought that God is most glorified in us. We can't add to his glory. He's perfectly, 100% glorious. But we can reflect his glory increasingly. We can uh, mirror more brightly and clearly his glory. And we do that the more and more we find ourselves glad in Christ. The more and more we we can stop looking towards the things of this world to be our happiness. And more and more, as we sang today, that Jesus is my life. One way we demonstrate that we're most glad in Christ then is to be his blessing in building his new city. The more and more you can find yourself, if you have the choice, I would rather, in this moment in my life, it's it's my gladness to forego some maybe even some vacation time to go on a mission trip. To There's so many practical, concrete ways. I don't have time to go through all a list of concrete examples. But, but you come to that point, I would rather spend my time, my treasures, my talk, my, my talents to build up God's kingdom, to build up the signpost in hopes of that final new city than we're demonstrating that we're more and more glad in Christ. And so at Trinity Grace Church, We envision people who give, who give as an overflow, uncoerced. At Trinity Grace Church, the elders, we we want to be very careful never to guilt trip anyone into serving or giving. We never want to be guilty and accused of coercing or manipulating. And so this has to be something, if it's happening the way that God meant it to, that His grace infiltrates our lives and we're so undone by the love of Christ that this naturally overflows to wanting to be with his people and to build up his church and now to discover our gifts and talents and and in hope, so to encourage Christ's church, to energize Christ's mission, to enhance Christ's witness in hope of Christ's new city. That's what we envision. That's what we envision. And so we envision, put differently, people who joyfully labor. It's hard work being a blessing. It's hard work serving, but we would do it joyfully for Christ's new city. And so for the rest of our time, I want to focus on um, Paul's mountaintop exclamation, uh, ending of his prayer in chapter 3 of his letter to the Ephesians. And we want to ask the question, how does the gospel invite me to be a blessing to build his new city? How does the gospel invite me to be a blessing to build his new city? And it might feel a bit redundant, but The basic point is be the Lord's blessing. Kind of defining a word with a word, but be the Lord's blessing. I want to first emphasize the Lord's. As Paul reaches this mountaintop and is about to exclaim and shout in uncontainable joy uh, in Christ's plan for the church, he says, now to him. First now, meaning in conclusion. Therefore, the whole focus of My prayer here and me being in prison, all my energy that I'm spending in life, the whole focus is it all goes back to God. It's about God and his glory, not my own. Now to him. And what is it about God? God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. This is one of the most, uh, my pet peeve as one of my pet peeves, pastor pet peeves, uh, is Is this verse being one of the most misapplied? And people love taking these two verses and just very self centeredly using it to think, okay, now God will grant me all of my wildest dreams. That word think there, even, it it could be literally translated just imagine, even more than you can imagine. But the context of this promise is in God's plan for the church. The greatest, most beautiful, colorful, glorious endeavor and project of God and that we could be a part of is, in terms of a cause is his church on this side of eternity. And the context of this wonderful promise that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think or imagine is to build up his church. Now certainly all our individual stories are part of the greater story of the church as well. Your personal story becomes a thread in the tapestry of the story of the church, yes. And so you can apply this personally as well, but you need to apply it properly, that as long as God, as my life is being used to build your story of the church, to build up the church, would you do things beyond my imagination? Now, let's, let's pause here. With Paul, it, it, the way I like to describe Paul's writing is that every phrase, every word is like... Uh, you know, just a $100 filet mignon steak, like, it's dry-aged whatever's Kobe beef, cow sung to, like, like, every word is just so rich. And so it's easy to just pass by this. And so I appreciate what a friend pointed me to yesterday. And, and so to try to stretch our minds, to slow down and chew just how glorious God is, how powerful He is. And I want to do a little interactive exercise here. And I'm going to ask a question beginning with, God is able. And I want all of us to answer and just repeat the question. Yes, God is able. And then we'll repeat that pattern. And we're just going to go through what Paul wrote here. And and hopefully our minds can be stretched slowly, slowly, like an elastic being stretched to realize what Paul is trying to communicate here. So first, is God able? Yes, God is able. Is God able to do Yes, God is able to do! Is God able to do far more? Yes. God is able to do far more. Is God able to do far more abundantly? Yes., God is able to do far more abundantly. Is God able to do far more abundantly than all we ask? Yes. God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask, and even beyond grammar errors on the slide, okay? Is God able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think or imagine? Yes, God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask, think, or imagine. See, be the Lord's blessing. Practically put, what what this means, what we believe, is that it's God who's doing this. And just throw yourself, find peace, rest, knowing that God has you in his hands and because he is most interested in fulfilling and completing his project called the church. It is his most glorious endeavor on this earth. He will certainly pour out grace into your life as he weaves your life story into the story of his son and his bride, the church. Now. Emphasis on be, be the Lord's blessing. Yes, it's all up to God, but this divine uh, paradox that we see Paul repeat often, and not only Paul, but it's all there in Scripture. My favorite um, uh, version of him saying this is in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse ten, and Paul says, "I am the least of the apostles." Right? He's he's humbling himself. He's being humbled because of his past and so forth. But I worked harder than all the apostles. So now it seems like he's bragging and he's saying, I'm doing all this, but it was not me. Then he's humbled again, and he explains it was the grace of God. And then he explains again, but his grace was not without effect. It's this divine paradox that it's all God. It's God's strength, God's grace. All your blessings in your life have been given to you by God, but now you're supposed to do something with it. And so emphasis, be you be you have a part in this be the lord's blessing and so paul continues to explain in verse 20 according to the power at work within us within you within me we're meant to do our part every human being that has come through this earth whether they place their faith in christ or not what we believe as christians is that god out of his common grace to all humanity Gifted everyone, has given everyone some treasure, some talent, some ability to relate to people and give to people. He's given them time and breath. But all the more when we place our faith in Christ, that source of blessing, that goodness and generosity of the big heart of God comes into laser focus, and we understand that the Spirit has trusted us. He's given us a sacred trust. One of my favorite acronyms comes from Rick Warren. uh, he says that God has shaped us, S-H-A-P-E. And we begin to discover our shape, how God has created us and defined us, shaped us, to be blessed, to be build his new city when we identify our spiritual gifts, when we identify our heart or our passion for a cause or certain people. We identify our abilities and skills that we picked up along the way through certain jobs and experiences define our personality, our temperament. Perhaps some of us naturally, uh, and this is completely fine, God is glorified through this, we are more quiet and reserved, and, but we're very good one-on-one. But some of us, we're better in front of people, and God uses us in those capacities. And to also take count of our experiences, E, and you put all these puzzle pieces together and you begin to see a shape of how God has shaped you and blessed you to build his new city. And third, emphasis, blessing. Be the Lord's blessing. Paul, he is solid, God-centered theology, Christ-centered theology. And so he brings it back to him again in verse 21 as he ends this mountaintop prayer. To him, to God. First, it's, it's from him. These blessings are from him. And be the glory. Be the glory. To him, be the glory. To him, be the glory the credit, to him be the fame, to him be um, just saying, God, this is all from you, and praising him, and thanking him. And how does this glory play out? And this is where we see the notion of blessing, to him be glory in the church. This is astounding, and in fact, even mind-blowing. One way that if you ask, what is God's glory? What Paul is saying very clearly here is that one definition that we could give for God's glory is the church. So even this gathering here this morning, Trinity Grace Church, we are God's glory. Let that inspire you. Let that awaken your identity and who you are. Let that define you. This is something eternally weighty that we are doing here. Make your shoulders go back and and your head lifted high. Let it be your identity that you are Christ's beloved church. Go to work with that identity. Make your home with that identity. God's glory is in the church. And so God is glorified when the church is edified, when the church is built up. That's what edified means, to be built up. And again, just to word it uh, in the prayer that we started, that we would steward our blessings to build his new city on this earth, as a signpost of the final new city. Let me give you an analogy, a bit of a metaphor analogy. And um, If you don't recognize this painting, it's called The Sunset at Mont and... It was one of Van Gogh's lost paintings. It was just sort of tossed into the corner at his brother's home and then it uh, wasn't inventoried properly and it got sold without being known. And then uh, eventually it got rediscovered, but it was questioned. Is this a genuine Van Gogh painting? And, and eventually it was um, certified as an original Van Gogh painting. And I want to kind of liken that to the church. The church is is this masterpiece by the great artist God. It is his greatest project, his greatest art piece. But a lot of people don't recognize it. A lot of people don't recognize that what we're really pointing towards and and the the master artist, the master creator that we are pointing towards as the church. Now, one thing that will help then is this. When we, if you understand these circles as, as... you know, our, our walk with Christ is not linear, and in no way am I trying to quantify, make scientific following Jesus, but just to help us understand a gospel dynamic in our lives. See, at the center of our hearts, we're meant to be glad first—that blue circle—and then grace is meant to overflow into belonging and being connected with the body of Christ. To sign up for a new community, it's not too late. Um, to to uh, think of and. and and constantly to, for this grace to move outward and also now to think, how can I be a blessing? And here being a blessing means from serving the church to serving the city in your heart in the name of Christ and telling people of your motivation along the way. It might be at a secular volunteer uh, you know, opportunity, but still your heart, your motive is because you want to be a signpost to the new city. And, and then even thinking overseas to thinking of people who have never heard of the name of Christ, what the church calls unreached peoples, to those in poverty overseas in other countries. Maturation is to keep moving outward. Maturation is to have grace to keep, to have this pipeline of grace to your heart, and for that grace to keep working itself outward. You see, when we're more focused on just being glad than Our general attitude and question is, how can Christ and his church serve me? It's very self-centered. But the more we mature and we move towards being plugged into community and then also looking outward to being a blessing, then the question shifts on its head. How can I serve Christ and his church? And should have added there the world as well. Now, let me bring this home very practically to TGC. The elders, we, we are constantly trying to look forward and discern God's guidance into the future. And on TGC's horizon, if you look at that timeline, and the very left being today, September 2019, and fast forward to the uh, third hashtag to the right, in 2021 December, approximately, is when the LRT is supposed to be finished. And the developments, they've already started breaking ground for condos, and uh, apparently there will be at least around 8,000 more people influxing into this immediate neighborhood, and future Laird Station being, I, I literally counted it, 40 steps. One day I was just curious, and I said, how many steps to Laird Station? I have a longer stride. For some of you, it might be 50, might be you know, less, but, but very close, right on the subway line. And, and, and that represents that bottom gold arrow, a potential for being a blessing, for engagement, for continuing to build this new city on earth. And so if we come back to today, we have a lot to grow still. We have a lot to grow. That blue arrow represents opportunities to keep maturing as a church, but also more specifically, we need to prepare. We need to prepare. If we keep growing at the rate that we are, the capacity of our church really uh, downstairs, the seats here in terms of a service is 180, but in human psychology, there's an 80% rule. When something feels 80% full, it feels 100% full. Or sorry, when something actually is 80% full, it feels 100% full. So then people stop inviting people because we think, oh, my church is full. And so we'll have to even consider, do we do a second service? For example, I'm just dreaming out loud. I'm just thinking out loud. None of these are set in stone or or, we're not just thinking out loud. And so are we postured? Are Are we also as a church maturing outward? So what now? Very practically speaking, how can you overflow grace, be a blessing? Take time and survey your own shape. If you need help with that, if you need some consultation with that, the elders are very happy to sit down with you and, and just to talk through your life story and to identify your shape. Sign up to serve. We've sent out an electronic link, um, but also there are some copies if you're a more paper and pen person at the back, uh, not by the offering box this time, but by the little magazine rack to my left. There's a sign-up for new community if you haven't yet, and there's also what we're calling just Be a Blessing at Trinity Grace Church sign-up sheet and fill that out and hand it in, and we'll send out the electronic link again this week for you to um, just us trying to help you how, to discover your shape and how you can serve. But after you sign up, show up. Show up to serve, and in your best barring any sickness and uh, stay committed to your commitments. But most importantly, following Jesus, is, is, it's more and more I realize that, that Christianity really is meant to be about a motivation. And so in your heart, as a foundation, see in your mind's eye Christ's new city. Let your motivation, pray the prayer, Lord, help me to keep seeing your new city. Help me to steward my blessings because the whole purpose of it is to build up your new city here on earth as a signpost as your, as, of your final new city. And soak in the joy set before you. Some immediate needs at, at TGC. TG Kids needs more volunteers. The, the volunteers currently are burnt out. Um, the, the, the leader is burnt out. And we need more kids, or, or more uh, adults to work with these kids, to be a blessing to these children. And, and I'm pleading from my heart, please sign up. We need more volunteers there. We need... Someone who, if, you're, if you love just serving with your hands and being in the background, Tuesday nights, uh, we don't have a paid custodian who comes in uh, to, to do this part. So we need a volunteer to come Tuesday nights and help with the waste gathering. Just a very real, concrete, practical way to serve. But this glorifies God. It's part of building up his new city here on earth as well. And so I just highlight these two immediate needs. Um, but again, we're not trying to make anyone feel guilty trying our best not to do that, uh, and so as you're moved by Christ and the gospel and being a blessing, I'll end this way. To continue the, the story of the sunset at Mont Majeure, uh, one uh, final nail, uh, something that, that finally just convinced the professionals that this is legit, uh, this is actually Van Gogh's painting. They found a journal entry of his, and I won't read it. We don't have time. And the, the important part isn't the words, but he describes the painting scene. And because, so his journal certified that this matches even this painting. Now, I want to use that as analogy and say that's why Paul ends, to him be glory in the church. And what else is the definition of God's glory? It's Christ, Christ Jesus. Just as that word that letter that journal entry certified the church and the master artist so as we keep preaching Christ as we keep preaching his gospel his word and we look to scripture it it keeps giving us confidence it keeps certifying in our hearts this is it this is the most glorious worthwhile cause that I can give my life to because it is the one endeavor and the one king the one love the one everything good and perfect, that will last throughout all generations forever and ever. And we say, Amen. So Lord, help me to steward my blessings to build your Amen again.